In this episode of Sound Seekers Presents Testimony, a Musician's Story, I talked to rapper D. Black. Now, in addition to D. Black sharing his Christian testimony, he really just gives us gems, gems for that, that artist, that up-and-comer, the importance of being an independent artist, how he made a lot of money being an independent artist and put it right back into his company, the importance of investing in yourself as well. He also talks about turning down a record deal with Def Jam Records. Additionally, he breaks down Waymaker, I'm So Glad featuring GS, Hope featuring Mouthpiece, and Church Boy featuring Jared Sanders and Philo, and the four-song breakdown. I am Gaelica Brown, and this is Sound Seekers Presents Testimony, a Musician's Story. Let's first okay. talk about your first music memory, um, whether it be uh, a song, a music video, like the first thing that comes to mind when you think of music. Um, I would say my first music memory, uh, Michael Jackson, <laughs> probably like many people, um, seeing him, uh, I believe it was uh, the award show he did when he did that, the moonwalk and, and threw his hat off. And that was just like my main memory being yeah. young and seeing that I was just mesmerized with it. And of course, from there on, I tried to moonwalk and throw my hat all over the house. <laughs> Michael Jackson, um, who said that it was um, Big Phil? He he mentioned Michael Jackson as well. I would love to see Big Phil uh, moonwalk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see that too. <laughs> but yeah, I think I never actually thought about the question for myself, but I'm pretty sure Michael Jackson would be my first music memory, either Michael or Tina Turner. Oh, wow. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, Michael Jackson, legendary. So, even for my kids now. So, yeah. <laughs> were you like sliding around the kitchen floor on like your white socks trying to do the moonwalk? <laughs> I did it all. I had the white socks, even I had the white sock with my hand as the glove, I had the white socks with my feet sliding, uh, every type of hat you could think of. I was just throwing it everywhere. I took it to the extreme. I was trying to like put the glitter on the socks and all of this. Stuff. <laughs> right on. Okay. And where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, originally. Okay. And were you raised there? Yeah, I was raised there. Uh, I live in Florida now, so. Okay. Floridian. A lot of people live in Florida. Yeah, why not? Of course, it's beautiful weather all the time. Yeah. Uh, was Did you grow up in a two-parent household? Uh, not originally, no. My mom, she actually got uh, married when I was about nine or ten. Um, she got married. So, no, I grew up in a single-family household. Uh, probably like a lot of stories of, of, of people who uh, might not have had dads in the house. Yeah, so, you know, I, I suffered with uh, trying to find that figure um, to replace, and I got one, um, and he, he, was, he was great, um, and then he wound up, you know, being becoming addicted to drugs, so went back to just uh, me and my mom around maybe, I want to say 13, 14, and then I was worse than I was before. <laughs> yeah, still, you know, searching for that father figure. So you were um, only child? 
Yeah, I, I am the only child, but my dad originally, he had kids. Um, I didn't know um, that I got to know later on, but we never were able to really, really develop a relationship, but he had kids. My mom had me when she was 15. My dad was 17. So at the time, you know, he wound up in the military and, you know, he was running around sowing his wild oats and, you know, had kids other than me that, you know, I found out about later. Okay. And so it was you and your mom and you said that you end up um, better. You were, you ended up worse than before because you got the taste of fatherhood. I, I probably wouldn't say just the taste of it. It was more so at that age, you know, when you turn 13 or 14, um, you start to go through so, so many changes as a young man. You start to try to figure out your identity. Um, you got girls coming, you got peer pressure, you got all of these different things. So um, once I was exposed to all of that and I didn't have that guidance, it just, I went off the rails. I pretty much tried to figure it out for myself and, and that didn't work out too well at all. Yeah, I don't think figuring things out by yourself ever works out well for anyone. <laughs> ever <laughs> okay um so was your the household that you grew up in with your mom was it a yeah. christian household no wasn't a christian household at all um i, I probably would say I, I went to church every now and then with my um my godmother she was she was settled and she was in the church consistently and i would go with her uh, as much as i could my mom would send send me with her but now nah, my family man I, I tell people a lot of times the family i came from it was like a movie like it was it was a lot of things and church was not um one of those things i probably the first time i ever even put picked up a bible to read it was me actually going to church for the first time maybe at like 21 i want to say 20 years old okay Wow. That's, I mean, that's probably not uncommon, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. just when you say it, it sounds pretty yeah. major. <laughs> I know. It is for me now, thinking back as much as I'm in the Bible. Like, man, I never even really, I never even knew um, God's word. I never touched it. I never studied it. I had no idea. Okay. So, um, 20 years old. So how did you, how did you come to picking up that Bible? Um, my wife who, who wasn't my wife at the time, um, we came together from high school. She knew me. Um, and, um, around that time, I want to say yeah, 2021, I just, I had a, I had a crazy year and I was sick on a new year's Eve. Um, and she called me and said, Hey, won't you go to church with me? And because I didn't feel well, I wasn't going anywhere anyway. I agree. <laughs> and I, I wound up in church that uh, that night and I was laying on the altar probably the whole service because I was sick. And I never left. I never left after that. Um, I pretty much stayed uh, going with her every Wednesday, every Sunday. And, and I'm sorry. Thank you, Froze. serious storm right now so i was hoping it wasn't me uh it looks like it's me because my whole zoom shut down and then just came back up you know what that might have been god because i had <laughs> i'm so i'm i'm a i'm a youth director at my church and um the the what's the name came in the uh receptionist and gave me some papers 
And I was like, thank God, <laughs> she would have messed it. <laughs> she came in, but hey, can I give you these papers? I'm like, I was doing an interview. So luckily she came right in after that. That worked out. Only thing is now I don't know where you were at in the middle of you being at the altar, um, never leaving church. Oh, yeah. The last thing, I don't know. I believe I went to um, my wife inviting me. So I could start there if you want. Yeah. Your wife so, um, so yeah, my wife, she invited me. She wasn't my wife at the time. Um, she, we had started dating again from high school. We, you know, we knew each other and she invited me to a, a, a service on a new year's Eve. And I decided to go because I wasn't feeling well. And, uh, that whole probably night I, I just laid on the altar. They probably thought I, <laughs> they probably thought, man, this man came to give his life. I was sick. You know what I mean? But uh, I never left. Uh, I stayed there. I was I was mesmerized by by the word of God. And um, I decided I was going to go every week. I didn't change immediately. Of course, that's not how it worked for me. But uh, I stayed in church. I kept going. Uh, and the next thing you know, man, I, it was just my life. Um, and, and that's the first time really I ever even read and looked at the Bible that night um, at the church. Wow. And you were 21 at this point. Yeah, I was about 21 at that time. So your wife wasn't your wife at the time. How did you guys even know each other for her to even invite you? Yeah, she we uh, went to high school together. I've known her since she was 13. And um, we dated when we were in high school. And she was always in the church even then. Um, and, you know, I, I, I went crazy, did what I wanted to do. And, you know, we we kind of uh, I went to the military. She went to college and then we kind of reconnected. And, you know, she she was like, you know, if we're going to get back together, I guess she assumed you can't you got to know God. You can't, you know, and I that wasn't something that she she presented to me, but I knew that was her thoughts. And you said you were in the military. Yeah. What branch? Yeah, did I did. I was in the Marines for about six years. I went straight there from high school, uh, like 17, and did like a year or two full-time and then went reservist for the next like four years. Where were you stationed at? Uh, originally, I was supposed to have been stationed, I was going across seas. But when I came back, they stationed me and I was in Baltimore, so they didn't have a, a regular uh, Marine base there. So I was at Anacostia and, um, Andrews Air Force Base, okay. which is weird <laughs> being a Marine stationed on the Air Force Base, but that was the only thing we had. So now you're out of the military, you give your life to Christ um, by way of this woman that you've known since high school. How does that transition to marriage? <laughs> well, we had already decided we were going to date again. Um, and we had been friends, like best friends for a long time. And it, we both had the same idea was, okay, if we're going to get back together, let's not even waste our time. Let's not play around. Let's say, okay, we've been around each other. We've loved each other. We've been best friends. If we, you're, you're my wife. <laughs> I knew it right then and there. And she said the same. She felt the same. So I said, let's take this seriously. We were like, we were committed to, we were going to do it the right way. We weren't going to have sex. We weren't going to, you know, we were going to really, I was really going to uh, get to know God and get close to God. And, and that was the plan. Literally. Um, I didn't think it was going to come so fast. I think we probably got married maybe a year after that. I probably ain't, you know, proposed, but 
Um, it was a plan. It was a plan. And I, I believe we both knew that it was time. Okay. Wow. So then basically you giving your life to Christ and getting married all happened in the short time period around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, I got married at 23 and like I said, I was first in the church, 21. So mm-hmm. within two years, I was, we were married and had our first son. Um, he was a honeymoon baby basically. Cause he, he came that first year of marriage in October, we got married in January and he was born in October. Oh yeah. Honeymoon baby. Okay. Literally. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about the, the, those early stages because you're a newer Christian and you have the responsibility of being a husband and a father. Like how did that look at the time? Um, at the time for me, it was easy only because of me not having that father figure. I wanted to be everything for my son that I didn't have. And mainly that was knowing God. That was one of the main things I didn't have that, you know, that structure in my home. So, um, that was the easy part. I think the hardest part was, you know, I probably put a harder expectation, more a bigger expectation of myself to be just like everything, do everything right. And I learned really quickly that I couldn't, you know, what I mean? that I just couldn't do everything right. And and coming from a life that I had before I was in the streets, I was selling drugs, I was doing all of these different things. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it the right way. And that wasn't easy, you know, trying to find a job when I hadn't worked for anyone, you know, and not having money like I was used to and all of these different things. It was, it was a struggle to actually um, have some stability and do it the right way. So now I'm going to go backwards because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when did you squeeze in selling drugs and being oh. green? <laughs> oh man, that was, I started so early at 13 okay. was like I said, that at that same period of time with, with my dad going, and it's weird because he got, my, my, my stepfather wound up being addicted to crack, and that's the same thing I was selling. Mm. You know what I mean? I, you would think it would be a situation where it would affect me to say I want to stay away from that. Yeah. But it kind of it drove me to that to that life probably more because I was just so upset, and I just wanted money, and, and the people I, were, you know, I was around, and at the time, I was probably, I was smoking weed, I was... I was smoking cigarettes. I was selling drugs. And this is like 13, you know, 14. I was carrying guns. I was around people who were older. So, you know, all of that time, I would say from 13 up till 20, literally by 21, man, I was done. <laughs> I had lived a life. Yeah. It seemed that most of live, you know, in their adult life. And that was all in Baltimore. Yeah, that was all in Baltimore. That was automatically, I'm just like picturing the wire. Like, <laughs> yeah, I tell people that though, my, I know, I know some of those situations because I was around stuff and people. I'm not really, really old, but I'm old enough to know some of those characters were actually real people. Okay, those are people that we knew and saw, you know, and the names and everything were, you know, were real characters, real names? police wow. officers. Okay, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, so. It's interesting. Okay. And now you're a youth group leader as well. Yeah. I Now you can fast back, go back when I got saved, I say, and once I um, joined the church, 
around 23, 24, I actually began to even do the youth group at the church I was at in Baltimore. And uh, eventually I became a youth pastor there. And my wife and I, we built a youth uh, ministry from the ground up um, with the help of one of my friends. He started and left and we probably had at least 150 to 200 inner city kids that we were ministering to every Sunday. They had their own church. We went, you know, we did uh, youth missions and trips and all of these different things. And then I kind of transitioned from that as I got older. We had young people who were now married. Mm-hmm. who were in our youth group and they became the leaders and I just felt like it was time for us to transition because we were the old people yeah. to them now <laughs> so they took over and that's when we moved to Florida and so now I'm actually in uh, a church here um, where this wasn't the my plan it was definitely God's plan um, I've been here probably a year just even the whole process of everything that uh of me I, I came to this area because my wife and I we're doing um, foster care and we moved here to do a foster care uh, program. And we had, including our kids, we had eight kids all together in our home. So um, once that happened, probably a year ago, these kids transitioned and went home. Uh, we were like, what are we gonna do next? And I got a call from one of the people at the church. They were like, hey, we heard you have some, <laughs> some experience in youth group. And I said, no immediately i said no no i'm not doing it because I, I had ptsd from doing it before i was just like man i'm old now i'm tired yeah. like i was 24 25 doing it before and i was like no nah, i don't know um and i just had to pray about it i talked with the pastor and he gave me his vision for what he wanted to do and i was so excited about his idea behind it and then with the times we're in we're in a, the church i'm in i'm probably the only african-american male here Oh, wow. So that within itself for me was a challenge because, yeah. you know, I'm like I said, coming from an inner city background, um, I felt like, OK, I have to be that face. You know, if they want to have, um, you know, uh, what heaven looks like, then I, I might have to be the face for some of these people in the community to see and say, OK, that guy looks like me, you know, um, and that's what they wanted. You know, I was excited about that. They okay. wanted that, you know what I mean? And um, so I felt like I couldn't turn it down. I had to do it. There's, I mean, there's so much there with um, it being a predominantly white church, I'm assuming then. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the yeah. majority of the kids that you're mentoring then are white. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and they're not in a city. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not inner city kids. Um, and so it, it presented, even for me, a challenge to see. I mean, doing music, I've, I've been able to tour and, and go on the road and see so many different people from Kansas to New Orleans. And I found some of the ones that I thought were a certain way. It wasn't what I thought. Mm-hmm. They all had some of the same problems and same issues. It was just the environment was different. You know what yeah. I mean? And that kind of shaped me where I, I was like, man, I'm thinking small minded. You know, I'm thinking, oh, you got to go get the kids out the hood. Well, now nah, the kids in these homes with money who got parents who are never there or kids who are suffering with depression and all of these things, even though they have all of the things, they don't have peace. You know, so, you know, I had I had to learn that issues and, and all of this stuff doesn't end with money. And, you know, we all have the same issues and problems. Issues, just different environment and circumstances. Yeah. And um, you have your you have your own biological kids as well. 
Yeah, I have I have three biological kids and one adopted son. Okay. Wow. So which is awesome know. in the sense of what we're doing because my my adopted son is white. So okay. that yeah. was a miracle That's within unusual. itself. Sorry. Say it again. That's unusual. I don't think I've yeah. ever met. It's, it's we're like in the one percent pretty yeah. much because okay. in Maryland we would bring in kids who were uh, medically challenged and eventually I think we've had like three white kids that they gave us and that never happens in Maryland in general it never happens um, and for us to have him and eventually die you can imagine some of the things I've experienced and seen you know when I'm on vacation and I'm holding him they're thinking like who is this guy and <laughs> whose kid has he kidnapped you know what yeah. I mean so it's a it's a it's it's interesting but uh, at the same time like I said, it's giving me a great uh, perspective on everything. That is interesting. Um, well, <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking about like the, usually you see white kids are yeah. white families with black kids. And right. then um, sometimes, you know, they don't know how to care for the black kids. So they're usually walking around with nappy hair and ashy skin. I'm um, going through that now. <laughs> Because I haven't been in the church, you know, from, uh, you know, I see it and I'm like, yeah, you might want to um, you might want to get a brush for his head, man, and get this like grease that we use and rub it in real good and put some lotion on them. And, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there there needs to be like a handbook that comes along with it. But I'm just I wondering, it too, I'm wondering if you're we, like, we burned our son. We took him to the beach. We, okay. didn't, we didn't realize, OK, you need to be lathered. <laughs> He, he was walking around looking like a basted turkey. You know I mean? That whole week, because we didn't know. Yeah, I was wondering if he was, like, overly, like, lotioned. But... Yeah, yeah we plenty of lotion, but no, sun, but no, sunblock. no sunscreen at all. <laughs> yeah, grease in his hair and everything. <laughs> and then you decided... And, okay, so you were fostering in Maryland and fostering in yeah. Alabama... Florida as well. Yeah. We didn't plan to in Florida. Yeah. It just, my wife, she just, she loves kids. She's a, she's a nurse, a nursing director. Now she was a nursing uh, for the NICU with babies. And mm. so that's just her thing. Babies, babies, babies. She had a nonprofit specifically for families with babies, all of these things. So that's her, her passion. And I love her. <laughs> but also my calling is to cut to kids as well but she just loves the babies and kids yeah well clearly you guys are called to this I mean with you being in youth yeah. ministry and fostering and eventually adopting a kid like definitely you're called to this yeah. so how does God's presence look like in your life personally outside of the music just personally oh personally for me it's a uh, like if you hear everything that I just described to you, like what our life is like, <laughs> God is definitely, I, I tell people without God, I'd be crazy. I'd, I'd literally, and I'm not as, I'm not as nice as people think I am. You know, they, they man, you're doing such great things. I'm like, that's God, man. That's not <laughs> within myself. I'd probably be chilling, watching a game or doing nothing, all worried about me and myself. But um, man, God, God in my life, it's like walking on a cloud. I really feel like from from even sometimes being blessed and and and, and, and with, with with peace and in the midst of going through a, a bunch of craziness, having a household of eight and these kids who have different issues and all of that, and still feeling peaceful. 
to, you know, financially being able to do things for other families and having a nonprofit. And it's like, man, if God was to exit my life, everything would fall apart. Literally, it would fall apart. So I have a fear and a reverence for God that I wake up every morning saying, please don't leave me. (laughs) Please be with me today. Please help me because I'm going to screw this up if if you're not with me. I know. Okay. Now let's move on to um, a trending topic. Well, it's trending on Twitter right now. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it, but one of the hashtags right now is um, Jonathan Price, Jonathan Price, Texas. So um, are you familiar with the story of the young man? Totally. No. So this was, I believe, just like two days ago, Jonathan Price, a 31-year-old black man in Texas, um, somewhere like on the outskirts of like Dallas, I believe, was at a gas station and there was a domestic dispute between a man and a woman and he went to go break it up. And when he broke it up, a cop came, tased him, shot him and killed him. So that police officer was arrested on suspicion of murder in the fatal shooting of Jonathan Price. Um, they were saying that his action was not objectively reasonable. So one is, I mean, it's a big deal that they arrested the cop too. Yeah. But my question to you is, do you think it's safe to be a good Samaritan as a black man in America? Take the cops out of the, out of the equation and it's still not safe. Like, to be honest, I've, I've seen it even with my own family members. It's like, you can have a female family member and she's like, he's doing this to me. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to let him do that. And I come to the rescue and then I'm in trouble. (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? You didn't have to rough him up. I'm like, I don't even know what to do anymore. I mean, it's sad. Like you said, just from from a standpoint of being a good Samaritan, I've had friends who had people killed trying to be a good Samaritan. You know, um, they've gotten stabbed or shot trying to help. So it's sad that you got to literally think about your actions before you try to help somebody and what could be the repercussions for it. Um, Whether the police are involved or not, you know, it's 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 it can be a no win situation sometimes. Yeah, I know. I mean, especially with you being a father and if you have I don't know if you still have eight in the household, but when when you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility and like right bam like action is in your face you have to like process wait okay got like eight kids at home i got this da, da, da. do i help or um, right. you know something could happen to me like it's just crazy yeah that's i'm a witness man now i used to be when i was young it was like man i gotta get involved now i'm like let me call somebody <laughs> let me get somebody here let me tell them what happened let me you know in any way that i can now i can't say if i, I if i go by let's say you i see you I don't even have to know you. I see you on the side of the road. Someone's beating me. I, it's in my mind. I can't not help you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be hard for me to not want to help you. It's just, it's, that's the thing. So I probably wouldn't think at that moment. The, the moment I'm thinking is I got to help her. I got to make yeah. sure she's okay. It doesn't matter what she's done. Let me make sure she's okay first and uh, and deal with what comes with it. Yeah. Um. Which I think naturally for people like yourself, because I definitely am just going to watch. I'll call for some. <laughs> but also, right. I mean, I come from the female perspective as well. Right. I always am thinking from that. But right. I have like, I think of like my brother and my father, like they naturally, if someone is in danger, like they just react and they just go. 
And I've always been like, no, like you can't like, what are you doing chasing down someone who stole a woman's purse in like Italy? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you Man, can't do that. That sounds like a Tom Cruise movie or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. Sorry, that's my brother. But um, but you guys, I don't think you guys have the ability to like really stop and think about everything else, especially now when he did that, he didn't have a family. I don't know if his mindset will change or if it's just a natural reaction to just go. Yeah, you, you, it doesn't change because you have the family. It actually changes where you're thinking that could be my family. Mm-hmm. That could be my daughter. That could be, you know, so I think that kind of plays into it as well sometimes. Yeah. So basically it's not safe to be a good Samaritan <laughs> ever. In any no, <laughs> it's not safe. It's, it, it's not, it, it might not be safe. It's not safe to walk in the streets now, but yeah. that when putting yourself in and in, interjecting yourself into any situation is going to probably be uh, dangerous. Yeah. Okay. So let's move forward into music and start talking about how you got your start into music. Okay. Um, I started young. Um, I was a, like I said, I was a big, big music fan in general, but I didn't probably write my first rap until I want to say 17. Um, I had a friend who was, uh, he was a big time rapper in the city. They were like on Rap City when we were in high school. And I, so he was just popular. And I was like, that, I want that. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I wouldn't mind being popular. So I, I remember writing and he had to teach me how to structure the songs and all of these different things. But I started to actually get better in when I was in the military, the military, I started to learn. They would bring guys to rap against me and all of this stuff. And so when I came home, I was ready. It was like, okay. hey, guys, I'm, I'm good now. And they took me to the studio. And I remember doing it the first time in this big million dollar studio and all of these people standing behind a glass. And I started rapping. And I remember them looking and mouths dropping. And I was like, man, maybe I'm doing good. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm doing something. And I never left from there on. I actually got like a, a independent deal like that night. One of the guys that were there, we were like, he was like, man, I got a label. I want you to partner with me and we're going to start. And we did that. They started to shop me around um, to other labels um, to get money. And I wound up with the deal with Def Jam. Um, they didn't go forward. Uh, I remember it was a million dollars, but it wasn't just to me. It was like that was the whole budget. It was like, you know, it sounded good to a young dude. Yeah. And this was around the time right before me and my wife when we first got engaged. So she probably was thinking, oh, we about to be millionaires. Like, you know what I mean? And and two million budget? Yeah, it was like a million. And and I remember signing some of the deals I was doing. Rockefeller Records was like right two doors down at that time. And uh, I got to meet. I, I signed. I was the same day that one of the guys that was signing there, I was doing my my situation. And, um, but I told her about it and that was part of me getting saved as well, because she told me to call her pastor. She was like, call my pastor about it. I want you to, you know, and and at the time, you know, I had went there to the church, but I didn't tell him what was going on. And I talked to him and I thought he was gonna be like, man, bring your tithes. You know what I mean? Just (laughs) make sure you get that tithe money here. (laughs) But he's like, nah, man, what about your soul, man? And I was like, what? It's like, man, my soul about to be rich. What you mean? (laughs) That's what, and nobody had ever, ever presented it to me like that. You yeah. know what I mean? I started thinking about it and it was weighing heavy on me the whole time because the stuff I was rapping wasn't, you know, it was bad. And I was doing some of the stuff I was talking about. And I just remember, man, saying, you know what? 
I'm gonna leave it, but I'm gonna try to stop cursing. That's what that was. I was just bargaining with God. Yeah. God, let me do it, but I won't curse. You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember doing a project and I hated it. I didn't curse the whole project. And it was a terrible project. Like <laughs> they were like, man, what is this? This is horrible. So I was like, you know what? I need to just stop. I set it down, man. I said, you know what? I'm walking away from the deal which was a bad deal anyway. It was like seven album deal for a million dollars. I'd have still been with them right now. They yeah. <laughs> me. And, and I said, you know, I'm walking away from it. And I didn't rap for almost eight years, uh-huh. eight years. I didn't do my, I did my first project in 2010, um, a Christian rap project. And because I just thought in between, I was like, this is going to be corny, man. Like, how do I do this? And I, I think the first person I heard, one of the first, I heard it was the truth and um, ambassador, I believe, mm-hmm. are two people that I heard. And then, of course, Lecrae came along with the bride and did my Jesus music. <laughs> I wasn't from Texas, so I wasn't into the screwed, but I yeah. knew that that was possible to do, you know. And from there, I just I didn't look back, and I, I did that first one. I thought that was going to be it, and and God opened up a door where I actually was. That first one was a f- ballot. It was on the ballot for a first uh, first ballot nominee for a dove award that first one i did and i was like oh maybe i should keep doing this you know maybe this is something that god is calling me to and that's how it began wow okay um well so i mean that was 10 years ago then yeah 10 yep almost 11 years now yep my first one man you just (laughs) you just made me feel like cross movement or something now yeah 10 years, 10 years ago i dropped me up my first actual project that's that's a big deal to be in music period well in entertainment and then in music for a decade you know 10 year yeah. time span what would you how has the last 10 years looked like and you know what would you attribute the the staying power to um being independent <laughs> is proud i mean i did do a deal with sony a couple years back um same time reach was was a part of them um and when when reach left they kind of just folded and, and i was able to get out of that situation i think for me the staying power is definitely connected to being an independent artist um because of that you know i was i was selling music i might not have been on the charts when i was in baltimore i was doing great baltimore dc virginia i would just travel those three different places and within those places people don't believe that i started my own label to just cover myself and that first year i probably made like 80 grand to fun what I was doing. I was making my own shirts. I was making my own CD. I had my own CD machine, my own shirt machine. I was going to, you know, all of these different places in these different churches and, and God was blessing it. I might not have been selling a whole bunch online, but I was literally selling CDs to people. And in that area, it blew up so much. I have friends who are artists who, you know, I laugh with and they say, man, man, you were like big in your, in your own little, I said, yeah, I didn't know about everywhere else until I was like invited to Atlanta one time. But within that little spot, man, I remember being on like the radio at the mainstream radio station and they were like naming the top artists in the, in the city. And someone called, man, you were on there. You're a Christian rap artist on there with like Wale and all of these guys. And I'm like, yeah. Cause I still was thinking like they were, I was still moving like they were. And that, is still to this day um, how I'm able 
you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of different artists who are very successful from Bizzle, you know, to, I mean, I, I ain't gonna name a whole bunch of people because I don't like doing the name stuff, but <laughs> I see how they're able to do what they do. And then they ask me, how, what are you doing? Like, are you selling drugs? What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, nah, man, I'm literally just still keeping that same formula. I, you know, I, I work with every, you know, other people I've, I have executive produced for Eshawn Burgundy for his album. I've worked behind the scenes a lot of times and everything I do is my own mm-hmm. independently, whether it's shirts, whether, you know, and, and people support it. I don't need a, a million people. I just need a few, you know, to keep it going and, and to support the ministry. I mean, that that's a gem right there, especially for people who are coming up and trying to be in the game for 10 years to, to know about that independent grind. Yeah, it's I think, too, another thing that's really important is um, just like it took a lot of it took a lot of investing money into myself, though. Like I said, I bought I didn't know what I was doing. I bought a machine that did light scribe onto CDs. I bought a shirt press machine. I had never done any of that stuff. I had to look on YouTube and figure it out. And I had to mess up a lot of shirts and <laughs> mess up a lot of CDs trying to figure it out. But once I figured it out, um, I wasn't paying anybody to do anything. You know, I was doing it all for myself. So I, if I got a shirt and I sold it for $10, that was all my money. Yeah. You know, um, so it made it, um, I think Jason, he said something one time and it kind of stuck with me where he said, uh, just get a hundred people to spend a hundred dollars with you a year. And I was like, man, that's a great concept because for me, it wasn't about making the money to, I never use that for my bills. Everything I got, I took and I put right back into what I was doing. So if I made that 80 grand, that 80 grand was gone. It was put back into whatever I was doing to, to maintain. So I don't have to, I think you keep the integrity of what you do. If you don't have to worry about money. Yeah. It keeps the integrity there. I don't got to chase, money. I don't got to rap or do a song specifically to reach people to get money. I can keep my integrity. You know what I mean? So that was big for me. Right on. That's dope. That's dope. Um, Let's move forward to our four song breakdown. The section where the artist raps or recites a verse and discusses the song. So I selected four songs for you. Uh, Waymaker, I'm So Glad featuring GS. Hope featuring Mouthpiece and Church Boy featuring Jared Sanders and Philo. If you don't mind starting okay. with Waymaker. Waymaker. So you want me to rap the whole verse? Uh, you can just pick a verse and you can rap it or recite it, and um, and then we'll discuss um, it. Only thing time. All right. Uh, yeah, death couldn't hold me. He rose up on the third day with all power in his hand. That's what the words say. So you just want that one verse right there? Oh, no, no. I mean, keep going until you get to the- All the way through. <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, so death couldn't hold me. He rose up on the third day with all power in his hand. That's what the words say. So now I give him worship with the word play. I am the clay, he is the potter. Give the Lord praise, hands raised for the father. I play my party's director. He's the author, he's the alpha, he's omega. In between, he was martyred. He was beaten, he was killed for our sins to be offered. To the grave, I'm a slave to his will. In a deal, I was bartered. I was bought with a price up on that hill. 
I reveal all of his glory. Through life, I'm living his story. When I write, I write it just like it is Christ who's living it for me. Greater is he within me. He fills me when I am empty, kneeling before his presence. Sin is trying to tempt me. I know I'm only the messenger. He is the one who sent me. I deliver his message and nothing's going to prevent me from singing. Right on. Okay. And um, why why make why uh, Waymaker? I mean, the song's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory, but like the decision to yeah. make it, especially like 10 years in the game, I'm sure you made something similar, right? Or saying something. Yeah, my, my actually, the, my church um, at the time, they had, we had the lockdown. So mm. we were doing, they were doing online worship services and the the pastor for worship, he called me, he said, man, I want to do something with you. And this is awkward again, because I'm in a church that's predominantly, you know, white and it's a Baptist church. They don't do <laughs> no rapping on stage and all of that. So I was like, really? Okay. What do you, what do you want to do? And he was like, I want to do Waymaker. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just added, if you, if, if people hear the song, I actually released it. In the background, I have like a, a drum pattern that I added myself into it. Okay. And we went back and forth and I actually did it live here in the church and we recorded it one take. So what people are seeing and hearing is actually just was a worship um, service for our church for oh. one Sunday that was sent to people online. Okay. Oh, well, that was um, a good look on your pastor to, to come up with that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was bold too. Man. Yeah, <laughs> the people I didn't know how people would receive it, but it's awesome to see like an eighty year old lady come up and say that's my favorite new song. And I'm oh. like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right, let's go on to "I'm So Glad" with GS. Okay, all right, this one, this one different. <laughs> see, I say I'm so glad I didn't listen. I'm too busy in the kitchen whipping like I'm on a mission. Living like I got a vision. Took a shot and I ain't miss it. No, I say Ray, working like I'm on commission. Took a shot and I ain't miss it. No luck and I ain't wish it. Buying faith in the blizzard. Yeah, through the rain, God still rains. Had growing pains, but still did it. Nothing changed, God running things. No compromise, yeah, I'm with it. Haters was doubting my grind, but they never stopping my shine. I'm wearing my watch every day. I'm never wasting my time. My ladder is greater. My dad is my savior. I'm glad that I'm favored because Jesus, he paid it, was beaten and hated, got killed and berated, three days so elated, so rose and he made it, vacated the grave, no longer a slave, made in his image. Whenever they mentioned what I couldn't do, attention was missing because I didn't listen. I listened to you. Yeah, that one is not easy. I'm going to no. tell you. <laughs> that, and, and I haven't even learned that one yet. Like, <laughs> And I talk with GS all the time. I say, man, if you want me to do that live, bro, I'm going to need some time for sure. <laughs> That was um, a complicated little pattern. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, so is that, that's GS's song then featuring you or is it you featuring GS? No, that's that's my song featuring him, but it should have been his song because <laughs> when I sent it to him, I've, I've probably been working on that song for a minute and he actually is going to probably release it on his project. Like I released it as a single and he was like, man, I need that. Like, you know, he's on the hook. And he starts the song off. So I'm like, man, it sounds like you're featuring me. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I told him, yeah, that, that's for his project. So he's going to release it on his actual album. And why did you decide to have GS feature on your project? <laughs> well, GS is is for a minute. Um, he We've been connected. He's the reason I actually got connected with Bizzle. Um, we connected back in 2012. He reached out to me 
And a lot of artists, man, have so much pride sometimes. I mean, that comes with being an artist. And uh, he reached out to me for a song I did way back called War. And he was like, bro, I love that song. It was amazing. I just want to encourage you. And, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And we connected and I wound up in Houston doing a song with him uh, and my brother Mouthpiece. And from there on, we've been connected, you know, from families to him coming, staying in my city, me being there in his city and being together. And so we have a relationship. Most of the people I work with, we have relationships. Okay. And speaking of mouthpiece, the next song is Hope featuring Mouthpiece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my uh, favorites right now. Um, that one says, uh, they tell me that prayer ain't going to change a thing. Yeah, let's break the chains, but still we got a link. Shed a couple tears, let it become my ink. Shed a couple fears, then I begin to think. Can't get too emotional, we at the brink. In a sunken place, but God won't let us sink. Yeah, they feed us poison, God don't let them drink. They close their eyes to what was coming, God don't let them blink. Eyes open, I'm watching the plot of Satan dividing the splitting nation. So many are filled with hatred, anger blind in their sight to decipher wrong from the right. They say I'm wrong for the light during these dark times. They lighting fires in the night, committing dark crimes. Some playing on both sides, trying to walk lines. I'm just walking with the Lord, so my walk's fine. Justice is the object. Hate I can't digest while they eat it up. The media feed it up. These leaders are leading what? Lord, we need you. You see, we stuck between burn something and learn something. Knowing freedom's never free, you got to earn something. We're here to straight toward destruction. Got to turn something. Negative to positive. They say that's just how it is. Why we got to die to live? We don't need no politics. We don't need apologists. We need to acknowledge this world is filling with evil when Satan is using people. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like that was my uh that was my political rant, I guess. If you okay. Yeah, I, I wrote that because I remember, man, just talking to a friend of mine. I was like, man, we need to pray. We need you guys. Like, I don't want to hear nothing about no Jesus. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, let me go write about this. They say they say prayer ain't gonna change a thing. Like, you know, that that was the idea behind it. Um and that's that's what drove me to write to write that song. All right. Well, you told them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he heard it too. And he was like, man, bro, like, I hear you. You know what I mean? So he heard me. Right on. And Church Boy featuring Jared Sanders and Philo. I'm not familiar with Philo. Uh oh. Yeah, Philo's a he's another one like Brinson, who's connected to a lot of different people. But he just doesn't promote, he doesn't really care about obviously promoting himself, but he's done songs with a lot of different people and he's a really dope artist. Okay. All right, this one said, uh, he told his mama he'd be gone to November. That was August 31st, locked up in September. Co-defendants in jail, he was home by the winter. Gave up every single name and everything that he remembered. Living the fast life, but ain't no breaks in the street. God told him he had life when he got saved, but didn't see that everything he really wanted, sacrificed every need, found himself behind bars, running away from being free. I seen this story more times than I care to. Ride or die until the driver start asking you where to. On the road to hell, sitting on your tail in the rear view. In your bag, but never had real power to tear through. Don't be that prodigal creating obstacles, doing things that you ain't got to do. Inside of you is he who makes it possible to power through and die when you let him empower you. Then you really making power moves for real. Okay. So, yeah, let's talk about the concept of Church Boy and, and the multiple Church features. Boy was a part of a um, EP I did with Philo. Um, and when we heard the track, he came up with the hook, you know, just in case I don't make it home tonight. Like the idea for me when I heard it and heard his verse, his verse was like, that's who he was. He was a church boy. 
he came from a mm-hmm. position where he was like, man, I was in the church all my life, but then I decided I want to go to the strip club. I want to be out here acting crazy. And, you know, he's been in God all his life. And I was like, well, nah, that ain't my, that ain't me. You know, I wasn't that. I saw the opposite side. I saw the guy who was like you. And I was like, man, what are you doing? You don't belong out here. Like you, you don't have to be doing what I'm doing, you know? So I just gave a different perspective. Um, and we just kind of wanted to come from two different angles of somebody in Christ who's running the opposite way. And we have two different views. He's the guy. I'm the guy who sees uh, that happening. Okay. That's a, a, a good concept. Um, very relatable for the church girls too. <laughs> yeah. Cause y'all, you know, y'all got to deal with them church boys. <laughs> And how does God's presence look like in your life musically? Uh, musically, that's my inspiration. Um, people are inspired by music by someone in one way or another. You're getting it from somewhere. It's where are you getting it? That's the key. For me, sometimes I write songs and I have like punchlines. I have double entendres. And I don't even know what I said until I read it back. I mean, it's hard to even explain I have, I, I, God's given me a gift where I can write one thing and it means three different things mm. in that same thing. So I could say it to you and it just sounds like I'm saying something regular. Like I say, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of something. I'll get, it'll, it'll come to me, but I'll say something and you're like, okay, that's just a regular thing, but it has a double meaning, you know? And then I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, okay, God, I didn't mean to do that. Mm-hmm. at all I didn't mean to do that so I pray um before I you know I, I, get, I get to writing um when I'm inspired I start to pray sometimes I'll get in the word and I'll get a inspiration from a verse I mean I'm plagiarizing basically <laughs> I, I'm taking God's word and I'm literally just copy and then I go from there and everything just falls in line I don't think God minds you plagiarizing his his words nah, I'm gonna keep <laughs> doing it I hope he don't <laughs> All right. And my last question, now that you've gone through this interview process, who would you like to see me interview? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, there's a guy, Plain James, mm-hmm. out yeah. there in Atlanta. Plain James, I, I kind of know some of his background, so that would be great um, to hear. Um, if you haven't done Mouthpiece, then Mouthpiece would be one. I, he's a hard person to get a hold of, apparently. Oh, I, I can get a hold of him for you then. Okay. Sure you get it, Cause he is, he is, trust me. He is. <laughs> I would appreciate that. Cause I did try to reach out. Cause um, Brinson mentioned him as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I say plain James mouthpiece. Do I have to give you a certain amount number? No, that's good. Plain James. I do. I want to try to get a hold of him as well. So yeah, people have no, I, like the perception of who he is. Trust me. I had it. I was like, all right. Then I met him and we connected on tour and we never, and I was like, man, he's nothing like what you think. Like he's a preacher. (laughs) You would have no idea. He's nothing like what most people think. Hey, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. However you consume us. Thank you. Please subscribe to the show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking of the show. And if you want to go an extra mile, share the show. Share this episode.
And for all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown, the music lover constantly seeking positive music. <laughs>